Welcome to part four of Tokyo Jazz Joints, five days in June. Okay, my raincoat totally rocks and you were so jealous because it was, I mean, it was that hardcore rainy season Japan where like, you would be drenched within a second of being outside. So all your mockery was really just, you were thinking to yourself, damn, I should have packed a raincoat, you know? Well, I mean, if, if it helps you to tell yourself that, that that's fine. But uh, anyway, people can make their own judgment once uh, I post this video of you putting your raincoat on <laughs> and checking checking your hood in the mirror at the at the uh, at the bus station but uh, when we got to the bus station in Kagoshima then uh, my friend uh, a guy called David who has now moved permanently out there to Japan uh, he's married to a lovely uh, Japanese lady uh, and he's living and teaching down there uh, i actually met him in dublin he was on a course that i was delivering we kept in touch uh, and he very kindly offered uh, to uh, let us stay for the night uh, and take us around some of the hot spots of the city that he lived in. Uh, but actually, in terms of the Jazz Joint Project, James, it was only one in the end. I think we had a couple that we were sort of sussing out, but in the end, it was only one uh, that we managed to get to, or certainly one that was open and, and seemed yeah, to work in terms yeah, of the project. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was difficult because, um, you know, like I said, well, the rain passed eventually, but, you know, by the time we, we dropped off our bags, um, went to have a bite to eat, uh, which is, again, another one to look out for on our social media feeds because we had a very interesting experience in a Kagoshima local ramen shop. But um, we ended up going to a place that I had been to years earlier. I had gone down to Kagoshima maybe three years before our trip. And I found this bar, and it was totally by chance. It was called Riff. And what was interesting, it's the the only place, and you know, our regular listeners will know that I've been going around to jazz joints for you know 15 years. Um, I've been to over 175 of them. I've never been into a place that advertised itself as a rock and jazz bar. Oh, yeah. So as soon as I saw the sign, I was like, okay. I'm going to spend some time in here. And I went in. So not only is it a, and it is a rock and jazz bar. There are pictures of the Stones and Hendrix and then Coltrane, you know, all around the place. But the decor, well, Philip, I'll leave that to you. I mean, how, how do we explain the decor of what clearly was a hostess bar? So, <laughs> yeah, back. it was like... Um it was like someone's nightmare from the sort of mid 80s and they just like vomited it all up in one space and you know right down to the kind of the neon uh, painting of New York that's hanging on one of the walls and it looked like he just moved in I mean it was a hostess bar and again if you're familiar with Japanese culture you'll know what a hostess bar is if you're not you could go look it up but um, you know it's a fairly unsalubrious kind of place um, and uh, you know a lot of mirrors a lot of um, gold velvet, velvet yeah. um, mm. you know which seems odd sometimes in the circumstances you think you maybe want a more wiped down 
wipe down friendly surface. But, you know, basically uh, really, really bad uh, sort of 80s living room of designed mm. by somebody who got too much money too quickly. And he's obviously taken this over wholesale and inexplicably has decided not to do any kind of uh, decoration whatsoever. Oh, co- Just complete, completely explicable. I would completely have left it like this. Oh, would 100%. you? 100%. Oh, 100%. You yeah, say because, that, but... No, well, because think about it. There's so many, so many jazz kisaten and jazz bars, but this one, this this is very. This is uh, one of one. This is unique. I yeah, mean, it's you've enough. got not only the hostess bar. Look at that sofa. I mean, oh my god, you know the green, that <laughs> olive green sofa. But then you've got. You can see the picture. You have the wide picture you have, which includes the great sound system. So you've got Coltrane. Then you got the Stones. Then you with that double neck guitar. That's got to be Jimmy Page, right? That's Led Zeppelin. I can't quite see the word. Yes, it's Led yeah, Zeppelin. Yeah, it's Led Zeppelin. Yeah. So you know you, he's combined the two loves. His two musical loves, um, you've got Miles Davis, you've got Art Pepper in there. And in this space that, you know, just very recently had been your prototypical hostess bar. I mean, it's it's definitely, definitely unique. Now, when we were in there, there was no one there. When I had visited a couple years earlier, there were quite a few people there. But because I sat at the counter, I was able to chat with him and his wife and I, I don't remember what they had done previously, but he he had said that the two of them had always planned to open their own place. They just never had got the right opportunity. And for whatever reason, this particular room had opened up and someone had told them about it. So even though it was a hostess bar, and even though the building that it's in is mostly hostess bars, they decided, what the hell, we'll just do it. And, um, you know, so it's been going now for, what, seven years? So hopefully, you know, they've been able to to keep it profitable. And it was quite, um, like, it, it's the sort of, it, like, trying to photograph it is difficult because it, it, it's a bit like when you keep your eyes closed for a long time and then you open them and there's all those little stars in your peripheral vision. <laughs> That's what it's like. Like everywhere you look, there's like a light or a reflection or something sparkling. So it was quite difficult to photograph. And I also remember uh, bearing in mind that we'd gone from the, the northernmost island of the country to the southernmost island, uh, with the exception of Okinawa. And, you know, we'd gone from a nice sort of mild summer breeze, to quote the Isley Brothers, right down to the kind of really sticky, sweaty atmosphere of a rainy season. And so we were in there with all that velvet. It was kind of (laughs) damp and wet and like we were sweaty. And it was just all very intense, I think. Yeah, I mean, and and, and for people who, again, are are listeners who know Japan or live in Japan, like, you know, Kagoshima is not not even a Kanto summer, which which can be brutal. I mean, it is really, really humid. And so we, you know, we get off the plane and we're just like, oh, man, not this again, you know? And so just, you know, wandering, you know, we we wandered around the sort of nighttime area. of Kagoshima is not a huge city. Um, It's a lovely city. And with one particular landmark, which we will be getting into shortly. Um, But, you know, just just wandering around 20, 30 minutes, you, you really feel that humidity start to take a toll on you. So yeah, going into this sort of like lightly air-conditioned ex-hostess bar, it is it is a strange experience. You know what's funny? I didn't even remember that 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 absolutely grotesque mural of New York. 
mean, that's just That's horrible. good, right? Uh, one really God. nice little detail, though, that he did keep, uh, which I definitely applaud, is the telephone booth. So this is actually a door into a, a sort of a separate little private room where you could make phone calls back in the in the pre-mobile phone days. So uh, really nice little detail there. Is uh, that where you would? Is that where you would call your wife to say that your meeting ran late? Because I mean, yeah, is sorry, that why I'm, it's just, I'm just I'm yeah. just I'm optimized here at the office. I'm going to be at yeah. least another four hours before I get back home. Yeah, exactly yeah. that probably. Uh, but little um, did she know that you were going to listen to Art Pepper. There you go. Um, you see, so that was riff <laughs> and. Um, yeah, I mean, it was an, it was a, there, there were a few reasons for us, I suppose, picking Kagoshima. I was keen to see this friend of mine, David, um, yeah. and and I suppose geographically as well, it made sense for us to start there, and then we kind of wind our way up through Kyushu Island. So we finished off the evening, um, as you say, after riff with a bit of dinner. Uh, we had a lovely, lovely ramen, which I think had sort of sliced beef in it like a kind of almost like pastrami beef in it. But uh, we got a, a singing performance during our meal. We did indeed. Um, you know, it being the summer, which is the the time of the year where um, Japanese local festivals happen, and local festivals in Japan include a lot of men in loincloths and vests <laughs> wandering through the streets, beating on drums and singing. Yeah. Um, while drinking copious amounts of sake from yep. the morning onwards. And this being Kyushu, which is the, some would say, the alcohol capital of Japan, the, the, the Kyushu boys take a particular pride in, in how much they can drink. And so we got a very close-up view of them as they as they popped into the ramen shop and gave us a uh, a cappella concert. Yeah, well, uh, luckily, James, uh, talking of obsessive documentation, I've got a little video clip of that as well, which you can find on my Instagram, Philip Arneel, uh, but also uh, I'll pop it on uh, the feed when we put this episode out just so that you can fully enjoy that acapella performance that we <laughs> witnessed as we had our dinner. And after that, then, James, we headed back to David's place, which I would say, if I was being generous, was um, compact. Would that be a fair description of his apartment? You know, um, in the interest of keeping our uh, podcast family friendly, I'll refrain from giving both my review of his apartment and uh, my uh, opinion of you telling me, oh, no problem, we'll crash at my friend's, quote, apartment, unquote, where I expected a separate bedroom and bed. <laughs> Rather than what I later realized was a thin fold-out mattress, and that's being generous, uh, literally about uh, two feet away from you and six feet away from Dave in his one-room, very small apartment. I mean, so, I'd say it was, it, was, it, it was a living example of the generation gap, wasn't it? Because... You know, had had it been twenty years previously, we'd have probably thought, "Oh, this is quite luxurious." But oh, having oh lived wow, there... he's got a clean apartment. Yeah, great. But yeah, Dave being quite a bit younger, us being a little bit older, and a bit tired. Yeah, um, and and me being perhaps slightly finicky about certain things like that. I would only say slightly, mm. um, tiny bit. Uh, yes, I was, I was, I was not pleased. Uh, but uh, we, you know, Dave was a great guy, absolutely lovely guy. We had it, we had a, we had, I think we had a nightcap of a drink and then just crashed out, you know, you know, pretty quickly. So it was like revisiting uh, the old days, you know, it's like, when, uh, it's, it's <laughs> like you could imagine again when you just come to Japan and everything was new and you were completely. pleased to have your own apartment and you were earning some money of your own. And it was like, 
this is really and yeah. uh, David's still yeah. out there he has uh, changed his job he's now married he's also moved house as well so if we do ever make it back there and David you happen to be listening to this podcast thank you uh, for letting us stay uh, apologies for my friend uh, next time I come back to your bigger uh, more luxurious house I'll make sure I'm on my own uh, hey and, I gave uh, I gave Dave my gold bond powder so as a thank you so I think that was a fair trade fair, fair point fair point <laughs> Okay, day three, and after our rather interesting night's accommodation, um, we were still in Kagoshima, of course. And uh, just to refute the idea that we're obsessed with uh, only jazz places and uh, that kind of nerdy side of Japanese culture, uh, we also decided we'd do a little bit of tourist uh, fare by heading over to a very, very famous uh, volcano just off the coast of Kagoshima. And actually, it's amazing because from the apartment that we stayed, despite the restrictions when it came to sleeping arrangements, we could actually, from the balcony, see uh, the volcano. And it's not uncommon for it to be regularly erupting, and you can actually see that smoke. And David mentioned even the fact that, uh, you know, he quite often has to uh, take his washing in and give it a good shake because there's so much dust <laughs> and ash in the air that uh, despite washing it, it's often covered in that very, very quickly afterwards. So, James, what about this visit? That was your first time as well, wasn't it? Yes, uh, Sakurajima. It's amazing because um, you're not joking. You, you can pretty much see it from anywhere in the city. It's a massive, massive mountain um, just across the water, a really short ferry ride. And it is very active. Um, I had visited Kagoshima a couple of years before we went. And I remember the, the hotel I was staying in had one of the outdoor, you know, balcony onsens, you know, hot springs bath overlooking the nice. volcano. And and it was quite a sight to, to be there so relaxed. And then you're starting to see the smoke come out of it and think, wait a second, that's not relaxing at all. <laughs> you know, what do I know from volcanoes? I don't want to be around that. But yes, it's definitely still active, but you can go over and visit. So, you know, we, we went over, like you said, we took the ferry. And when you land, I mean, people live on the island. You know, they actually do yeah. live there. Um, you know, there's uh, there's uh, shops. There's quite a good road system and bus system. And we were waiting for the bus. And uh, obviously, you know, like we talked about, I mean, it was already burning hot at about 930 in the morning. And, you know, going out there right under the sun, we were already beginning to feel it. And as you ride up and, and wander around, you start seeing these things that, you know, at first don't make a lot of sense. But then you remember you're on an active volcano. You remember the bus stops? And right next to the bus stops were like, you know, either little sheds where you could sort of like hide underneath in case there was an eruption. And these were yeah. all over the island. Um, even a lot of the graves, because people have been living here for hundreds and hundreds of years, a lot of the graves had little umbrella type things on them. So people who would come to tend to their ancestors' graves could wipe off the ash. I'd never That's quite right, seen anything yeah. like that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's funny because, of course, Sakurajima translates as uh, Cherry Blossom Island, but uh, and, and it is beautiful, but uh, there is a certain apocalyptic feel about the whole place, you know, uh, and obviously we'd been directed with a bit of local knowledge up to a particular school, so we jumped on that bus, um, which, I, you know, is the only bus service on the island, obviously it's one of those one every 40 minutes or one every hour type services. I think actually we, we got on a bus and then we had to go to a, a sort of a terminus and change to another bus, didn't we, that took us further up the mountain. Um, terminus is, yes, being well, very generous, probably but yes. Slight exaggeration, yes, a, a, <laughs> right. a shed, 
that some man <laughs> right, smoking right. is probably a closer description. Yes. But yeah, so we, we jumped on that bus and uh, went up to this junior high school where actually my friend David that I mentioned had taught um, previously and he'd had obviously had to take the ferry over to the island mm. uh, and go up to that school to deliver lessons. But what an amazing place that was. Oh, unbelievable. And then, you know, right near it, uh, do you remember we just walked down a tiny bit because this, you can only go about, I mean, you can't even go, um, I would say about a third up the mountain and then it's closed off because there's there's three separate peaks to it and uh, only only authorized people can get up there you know people who are doing work on the volcano but yes there is that school there and then we we walked down a little further and there was this really amazing abandoned uh shinto shrine that felt as if we, you know, because there's nobody around. I mean, this is like an early Saturday morning, right? And you walk through the Torii Gate into the grounds of the shrine. And, and I remember just thinking that it felt like we had gone back like three or four hundred years and found this, you know, abandoned site. It was unbelievable. It's pretty amazing. And, uh, of course, we walked through that Torii Gate to get to, to what's now the shrine, but in actual fact, the original Tory Gate, which I suppose would have been probably somewhere in the region of four to five meters high, um, is actually buried now. So the 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 sort of remaining one meter or so uh, pops out of the ground as you as you walk up. Uh, towards the other shrine it's on your left mm. but obviously it's been buried over the decades and centuries from all the falling ash and what's interesting about that school is it's a very small number of kids who now attend it but actually uh, one of the jobs that they're responsible for is is maintaining that shrine mm-hmm. uh, and so as part of their daily duties and if, if you're familiar with Japanese schools you'll know like a, it's kind of it's an obligation for kids to clean their own school in, in different ways and, and this is one of the tasks that the kids in this particular school are charged with and uh, I have some photos of that that I'll pop up on the social media uh, channel as well but I mean it's probably again slight exaggeration I mean it is a shrine but it's very makeshift and uh, very sort of uh, down home and organic sort of feel to the whole thing there's nothing grand or anything about it and you can understand why of course you know uh, because they're living, you know, on that island under the constant threat of of a really serious and there eruption. Are more people, you know, which... There are more people living there than you'd think. I mean, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. it's about, I believe it's about four thousand currently, four thousand people, which is certainly bigger than some of the villages that you know you can pass through on the main islands. And you know, again, um, Sakurajima is super, super close to Kagoshima, the city of which is six or 650,000 people. I think it's only about a couple miles, you know, about four or five kilometers across the water. So um, that entire city, metro area is, is just living. Uh, I mean, everyone in Japan lives with the risk of earthquakes. But the people yeah. in Kagoshima are living on a double, a double-edged sword there with, with the threat of earthquakes and this massive, very active volcano. Which is, yeah. I believe, it is about fifteen hundred or sixteen hundred meters high. So it's pretty, it's pretty high and and very powerful, and it erupts pretty regularly. I think the last one was just about three or four months ago, and it it covered the uh, it covered the city of Kagoshima in, in you know in about a, a half centimeter of ash, which doesn't sound like a lot until you look at it and realize that that's from a volcano. Pretty pretty terrifying stuff. 
Yeah, a fascinating place, though, and I'm glad we went. Uh, The other thing, of course, that I remember is those incredible um, exposed tree roots, you know, the huge trees Mm. with the roots growing over the ground. It put me in mind of uh, the the trees I'd seen in Okinawa and places like that as well. Very sort of almost like a Southeast Asian feel to a really, really uh, interesting place. Yeah, like we uh, said about Hokkaido, when you you really feel that you're entering the northern lands, um, down in Kyushu and certainly down in Kagoshima at the tip, uh, that's sort of the gateway to you know a more tropical type of place like Okinawa, like Taiwan. Yeah. Uh, the food is different. The weather is obviously different, and it's uh, yeah a very a very unique part of Japan, which I, I would recommend. I think Kyushu is fantastic. Personally, I think people really kind of miss out on it when they come here. So I usually tell um, visitors to to spend a couple of days down there if they can. Yeah, I mean, just looking at the at the photos as well. Uh, again, I'll post these on on our feed. But um, obviously, the the playground of the school is is completely covered in ash. You can really see it. Uh, it's got that. It's that kind of gravelly school playground that is so familiar in in schools in Japan. But particularly, uh, this one is covered with ash. And also, as you mentioned, right across the road, um, there is the shelter. Uh, it's number eight specifically. And what's interesting <laughs> about it is it's in Chinese, uh, Japanese, uh, English, and Korean as well. And the English translation is this shelter is to protect you from volcanic ash and falling rocks in the case that Sakurajima should erupt. So again, it just gives you that sense of uh, what people live with and also, I suppose, what's become normal and, and every day when you're, when you're used to being in that kind of... Um, that kind of area uh, where where it's a constant threat, you know, it's just something that you you kind of take as as a given. And, and yeah, I think I think things, I'd be know. more on the uh, please be aware you may die while visiting here. You know, I think that's probably the warning I would want. But uh, no, it's it's a magical magical place. I mean, the ferry ride over is just is just you know you get closer and closer and it rises way up into the sky and you just you see it puffing like a chimney. It's it's really something. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, it's funny you mentioned the ferry ride because, of course, uh, that was also the scene on our return of the uh, that stunning portrait that I took of you uh, uh, on my phone, looking wistfully off into yes, the ocean. Yes, that is that is right. It almost looks professionally uh, professionally tousled hair looking off into the distance. Um, that that is a, a great photo of me. But even better, and I hope you have a copy because um, long story, but I've lost mine. Do you remember when we were waiting for the bus, um, you were walking off, taking some pictures and looking around, and I started talking to a very, very old lady who had come over on the boat with us, and she was going up to the cemetery by herself to to tend to the grave of, uh, I believe it was, of her parents. And she had grown up on the island. She was really hard to understand. She had a pretty thick local yeah, yeah, accent. Yeah. So, you know, it was, I was struggling to keep up. But, but it just got the most of it that, that, you know, she lived in the city but would come over once a month and tend to the grave, which is pretty dedicated because most Japanese people have sort of lost that custom. You know, they'll go maybe once a year, maybe not at all. Uh, but she, she would go once a month to, to both of her parents' graves. And, and you took a great picture of me and her sitting there uh, at the bus station, which, which I always, I mean, I just treasure that one. I must look that one out, actually. Yeah, I'm just, uh, for anyone who is in Japan interested in making that trip, uh, just to make it a little easier for you, um, it, it, the place is actually called Kurokami, um, which I suppose translates directly as Black God. Uh, and what's amazing as well is that uh, on the sign that points towards the shrine, just below that, uh, the English translation is Lava Hell of Kurokami. So, uh, you know, 
If that doesn't attract you, nothing will. So anyway, we jumped on that ferry, James, because we had a car reservation, of course, um, around lunchtime. I've got this picture of you tagged there at at 12.52. So uh, we were heading back just around lunchtime to pick up a car, which we kept for the next few days, because this part of our journey uh, we did by road rather than uh, the fantastic public transport in Japan. And uh, after picking up that car in Kagoshima, we fell almost into a little bit of a sort of a time slip as I as I felt because when you look at on the map again you know to go from Kagoshima to Kumamoto which was our final destination that day it's only two and a half hours but we had decided to try and take in a place called Paragon and again just looking on the map you think well it's just a little side trip but for somehow it just seemed (laughs) that however far we drove we never seemed to get any closer and every time I looked up Google Maps I I was like it must be wrong because you can't it can't still be uh, that far away it's like when you're you're, you go to a country and you're 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 checking on the currency exchange and you're like it can't be that much it simply can't cost that much like when you buy a pizza or a coffee in Norway you're like it can't possibly cost that much you know I think a lot of it is is, I mean from from my point of view I've never driven in Japan um, ever in all my years here. Obviously, Amazing. it's on the wrong side of the road for me, and I don't like driving anyway. But but one thing I noticed is that, yes, with the distance, and this trip really, because we saw it again and again, you can't just judge by the map because roads are not like they are, for example, in the States, very wide, very straight, drive very fast. Um, Japan is narrow, it's tight, it's very mountainous. So what looks fairly close by distance yeah, exactly. is you, you're very rarely getting above 50 to 60 kilometers. And even when you do, you've got to stop quite often because th- these are local roads. So um, it, it took us a lot longer. And then I remember like, Paragon, the first place we went to is not like we say this all the time, Philip, and I know our listeners are probably like, how can every place be unique and individual? But it's true. It <laughs> and is. this is another example. Paragon is not like any other place we've been to. Um, I think uh, if you're with us on day three, you know the drill by now. You're at tokyojazzjoints.com in the regions section and look under P for Paragon. And right away, the first picture, um, look at that highway sign. I mean, that's a highway Enormous. sign. It's written in Japanese, but that's a highway sign that you see very much in the U.S. telling you to go to this shop or that diner and i've never seen one that said jazz on it before um and so you know right away i was excited once i saw the sign i thought my god that's that's got to be a special place and paragon was absolutely special um unfortunately when we walked in and maybe this was you know our mistake because of the timing it was completely packed with afternoon sunday afternoon tea and and, and cake uh, customers yeah i mean even from the outside, you know, I, to me, it just had that feel. I mean, it opened in 76, so it, it has that feel of a place. And it was like, it was just this little, almost like cul-de-sac area. Uh, and it's covered with, with ivy and, and foliage. And then you go inside and it's just so beautifully maintained. It's mm. all wooden. Um, you know, it, it's like, I, I swear that it's it's unchanged since 76. So you, you get this kind of... Um, real feel of the era and then obviously the the centerpiece is this enormous paragon uh sound system that gives the place its name and i think also what was really interesting for me about it was that like they had this unbelievable menu i mean you know there were families in there and they were having these kind of like old school 
ice cream sundaes and things that you just like <laughs> yeah, you can't right. get like you just don't get anymore you know was it was like of, stepping uh, back in do, time how do you how do you pronounce that the you know frap frappe frappe yeah well that's probably the modern version of it yeah like but i mean they were and they were huge yeah in in the in those really old like kind of tall um thick glass you know sort of dishes that that you would make an ice cream float in it was so so retro and yet, at the same time, and I'm really glad you got because it was very hard to take pictures because it was yeah, so crowded. Really hard, yeah, so you know you could only get a couple angles, but you you got a feel of their record collection because check out the amount of John Coltrane albums that they have there. Yeah, you know, um, I mean, for me, that photograph. I mean, there's lots of these sort of photos in the in the project, of course, but. Mm. As as has been documented in many other episodes, I'm a huge Coltrane fan. I mean, who isn't? But uh, I think just, you know, all these single records uh, together and, mm. and some of the gatefolds and then suddenly this Coltrane in Japan box set uh, really stood out to me visually. But um, it was hard to take photos for sure. I mean, the sound system in, in itself, I think I just took that by standing up at our table. I, you were you were facing uh, towards the room and I was facing towards the system and I literally That's had right. to just stand up in my seat and, yes. and try and get what I could, and I you know? and I ducked, yeah, and That's I mean, right, I, yeah. and I remember we we did um, pass a, 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 our card or you know one of our business cards to them on the way out and kind of explain that we were touring around, and I believe it may have been the the wife, the mother um, of the family who talked to me and said, oh, you know, it's it's a shame that you came at this time on a weekend because it's very crowded. You know, we're kind of yeah. busy. She she did realize what we wanted, and I think it would have been okay to take a lot more pictures, but it was just, it was really peak time, and, you know, the, the whole staff were running around. Um, I think it was, you know, the, the couple and, and a daughter and maybe a, a part-timer, and, you know, just running around serving coffee, tea, and, and desserts. Yeah. So there was it was just not the right, you know, right vibe at the time time for us to do an interview and you know spend an hour and a half crawling around the place which is a shame but looking back on it i think it's it's not quite as far as maybe we imagined um if if you can make a return trip maybe we can swing it again you know this time we'll be prepared yeah i think we were just expecting it to be uh closer you know and then you know you're like why is it so far and i think it's particularly the next uh, leg of the journey that really felt far. So, you know, once you go outside Japan, I mean, there are fantastic highways. I've driven all over Japan, but you know, there's maybe not the variety or the multitude of them that you get in the more built up areas like around Tokyo and that whole uh, sort of seaboard. So, uh, you know, you might be on major roads, but still you're stopping at lights and all those kind of things. Uh, and it just felt so far. But I, I mean, the other thing about, you know, not being able to take so many pictures as, as well, I think, and this is something that I've stressed you know, when we talk about the project as well, like we're not just collecting these places, you know, we do within reason, obviously, because we are on sometimes on a schedule and, and obviously we're definitely on a budget because as I've said, we've never had any funding for this project, you know, but we do want to enjoy the places as well. I mean, I, I don't want to fall into this trap that of of the tourist that kind of goes to a place and, and experiences it through the camera and then when you get home you know you sort of think oh, I didn't really see the place myself and you know you the only thing that you have is those photographs so mm. it was nice we had a um, I had a cracking bit of cake if I remember correctly and a nice coffee <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah well was, I think that's was... part of it though is that because and there there are a few exceptions uh, one in particular which we will get to later yeah, today yeah, yeah. but you know the nature of 
where we're going of the places that we're profiling are that you come in and sit down and have a drink. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's not a place that you can just run by and see a site and, and take your, take your snap, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? So, uh, uh, it was just, you know, yeah, we, we did, you know, the, the photos here were probably what, five, six minutes total that you, you were able to get just a few. And then we sat for about half an hour having our coffee and yeah. just enjoying the vibe. And it was, it was a lovely place. A very unexpected. Um, like I said, very much reminded me of like an American place place uh that you would find all over the states you know um yeah, except for this great jazz collection well that that one particular which i think is is one of the family that run the place um sort of uh blurring uh sorry um sort of blurred out slightly as she's walking across to, to clean a table but you know you can see that classic sort of eclectic mix of things that you get in these places particularly family run ones so you know you have the the standard uh, frame pictures of jazz musicians. Then you've got sort of a coffee ad. You've mm. got posters of more current events. Uh, you've got a menu. Uh, then you've got this more sort of uh, older Japanese style uh, picture. Uh, and then over on the left, of course, you know, you've got these sometimes odd kind of like um, classical type statues or images that we get. And I think that's either a barometer or a thermometer, but, uh, you know, it's just really interesting, like uh, the kind of mixture of stuff. And th this place was one of those really eclectic places, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. a lot of frilly edges here and there and, you know, <laughs> polished glass and all this mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And of course they had that huge bar area, which unfortunately I wasn't able to photograph, but do you remember the owner just like mixing up these like drinks and all at, uh, you know, yes. like one o'clock, two o'clock in the afternoon. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Because there was there was a separate it was kind of divided into two big rooms and the other room had a lot more smaller individual tables there were definitely a couple of people having some afternoon drinks in there um i noticed and <clears throat> excuse me and you know they even have like to go back to that picture of what was uh what we believe is one of the daughters uh, you you know not just the the photos but the posters on the right I mean that that's a poster for the you know the Thomasville group you know Honda Tamias group who we ran into another part of our journey up yeah. in Sendai uh, you know so they're they're kind of keeping uh, up to date with modern contemporary groups but also keep, keeping this vibe of you know nineteen I mean it's funny it opened in 1976 but it feels more like something from the 50s to me. You know, like, yeah, it, it has that feel definitely, and I think the American thing really chimed with me. You know, it, mm. it is that sort of it, it just it, it it's really hard to put into words. I think uh, you know, which is why I'm a photographer. But like, you just there was something just different about it. You know, that it just felt like stepping across the threshold. You were for sure, you know, going into some sort of different era. And I think it will always retain that slight air of mystery. Uh, it's the only place, unfortunately for the Instagram story that I put together with all the places in consecutive order that I forgot to take a video, which shows you that we were probably slightly uh, stressed and slightly under pressure for time. Um, yeah. And so, well, we also, you know, also a bit tired already, you know, we just climbed up a volcano in true, true. 38 degrees centigrade. So, uh, but yeah, we were we were rushed and i remember we we got back in the car and <laughs> do you remember what happened next so we're already running way late and yet again miscalculated time yep. so when we thought we were going to arrive at the next place in plenty of time and this is now a sunday so you know opening hours are are sure yeah, that's the problem um yeah. pretty much quickly realized that a place we want to go called cafe jarrett as in keith jarrett uh, in Kumamoto City that we're not going to make. 
This podcast was produced and created by Philip Arneal and James Catchpole of the Tokyo Jazz Joints Project. Thanks to Brian of Grooves Ahead for audio assistance and also to Louis Elastic for our theme music.